All right. On today's show, I welcome on a very special guest. He is Coach Mike Mannix. He's the head coach of Wilbraham and Monson Academy Boys Basketball Team. Coach, how are you today? Good. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Coach. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. I really appreciate it as well, too. Um, coach, the season just wrapped up for you guys recently. How was the season for you guys? And, uh, you know, how was the experience of getting the, you know, Coach, these young men that you've had on the team for a while, you guys went 47-15 the past three years with a few of the guys on the team. What, what was that like? Um, it was, without a doubt, one of the best experiences of my coaching career so far. Um, to be able to, I've said this a couple times, to be able to be at a prep school, boarding school, and to have a you know graduating class here of 2022 of you know a core of four guys, um, three all coming in together back in the fall of 2019 as reclassified sophomores. And they already had one teammate here from the class of 2022, Devin Austin, who came in as a freshman in the fall of 2018. Um, so to have those four guys together for that long, uh, there's probably not a lot of, you know, prep schools in the last decade or so um, that could say that, you know, you had the, a total number of four in that many years, you know, all together in the same place um, and truly growing up together and watching them grow up together um, was really cool. And like I tell, he's probably sick of me telling the story, but Devin Austin, you know, he's, he's a true senior. He's never reclassified, which is a rarity in itself. Yeah. And in the fall of 2018 on our very first roster that I sent into Adam Finkelstein, he was, uh, I believe five foot 10, 135 pounds. And the last roster that I sent into Adam this year, Devin is six, five and a half, 182. Oh my God. So, you know, I, I jokingly say to recruits and their families now, like at the very least, you know, we feed the kids. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Like he put on 50 pounds in four years. Kyle Filipowski put on 40 pounds in three years. Um, Sean Seymour, probably a, a healthy amount of weight. Um, Matt Filipowski gained a little bit of weight while he's here. Like we, we feed our kids at the very least. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're eating well and, uh, that's eating right. the right stuff to help them grow either way. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a good part. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, you, so you were able to coach like, uh, Matt and Kyle and, uh, Devin and these guys, um, you know, what was the experience of coaching Matt and Kyle both? you know, the twin brothers, one's committed to Duke, the other one's committed going to Harvard. I mean, Duke, obviously, you know, coach, coach K is leaving and then Harvard has Tommy Amaker, former Duke player. Um, what's it like to, you know, see those guys off to go, you know, go their separate ways and be able to play at such a high level in division one. Yeah. Well, first when, you know, they're committed to Duke and Harvard, I had to up my vocabulary a little bit this year. You know, I was like, <laughs> You know, if I, if I use the wrong word for something or pronounce something wrong, I don't want to see you guys raise your hand to tell me, you know, um, but uh, you can kind of break that down, Jeff, into a couple of different parts. First, coaching twin brothers. Um, it, it can be a very different experience. It is a very different experience. Um, sometimes a sibling rivalry, you know, pops up in practice. Um, we had one open gym in front of college coaches in particular this past fall where the sibling rivalry was at its height, okay. we should say, and they were on separate teams. And, um, you know, typically during our 
our uh, open gyms in front of college coaches when we get to the portion of the night or day where we're just playing, you know, some of our organized pickup, just kind of let them go, you know, yeah. just kind of let them go, let them play. Um, in this case, I couldn't just let them go because I didn't know what was going to happen next. <laughs> and, and I know they'll just sit there and laugh. And I know their mom and dad would, would laugh at this story too. But at one point, like I walked to half court and we were a couple seconds away from everybody going into timeout. I think, you know, um, but that's the great thing that they, that Matt and Kyle bring as individuals as, um, an incredible competitive streak. And, um, you know, sometimes when you say that, right, you're, you're probably thinking like as a sports guy, you're like, sometimes that can work the other way on you. Yeah. You know, when you have this really competitive streak, it really very seldom does it, you know, not go in their favor to be competitive. There are two guys that are able to, I think, balance their competitiveness and turn it up um, when the time is right. Yeah. Um, and, and they're just, you know, they're intelligent kids too. So they know that like, you can't be at the height of your competitiveness, like every second of the day, or like, you'll just burn out. <laughs> yeah. right? But they know like when it's time to get on the court for practice, like they turn up, you know, as they say, and, um, and they're ready to go. Um, so coaching those guys, you know, was, was great because they, they had the sibling rivalry that was going on for three years, but that just meant that they pushed each other. And sometimes they matched up against each other in practice and not all the time, but sometimes. Um, and so it was, it was great to see how they pushed each other. It was also great to see how they had that very positive brother connection. Um, because I'll tell you the passes they threw to one another, um, in game, you know, you'd be like, wow, you know, you, you don't, you don't see that connection. I mean, just really like that kind of sixth sense. Yeah. Yeah. Of like, you know, maybe Kyle with his back turned and kind of like, I am pretty sure Matt's right there, Yeah, yeah. you know, and throwing the ball or Matt, maybe getting an offensive rebound and being crowded. And he knows enough to tip it to the other side because he's pretty sure his twin's going to be over there, <laughs> you know, That's just funny. kind of a, a unique thing. Um, and then, you know, their talent speaks for the t- itself, right. Or, or, or their selves. Um, just high level players, great skill sets, very good basketball IQ. Um, so it was tremendous coaching those guys. And then, like I said, having Devin Austin for four years, who's going to Princeton. Um, like I said, you know, in my comment about his size and his little growth, yeah, like literally getting to see him grow up. I mean, he was a young boy when he came here. When I first met Devin on his very first recruiting visit here, he was 12. Yeah. 12 that's crazy that's that's (laughs) now yeah and and now you know and he's looking me in the eye at like five nine and i'm like i don't know you know i don't know what this kid's gonna be you know what i mean like i hope he grows sure enough you know here we are you know he grows another you know nine and ten inches right and and like the span of four years um and so that that was great and um and then sean seymour who also came in as a reclassified sophomore, Um, you know, a guy that is, he is as unselfish as a teammate as you'd ever find because Sean's a heck of a player. Yeah. And his college destination is still to be determined, but whoever gets him, you know, he's got a couple offers. Um, Whoever gets him is going to be incredibly lucky. He is a hard worker, 
he's a coach's son and you can tell. Yeah. Um, and you can always tell, you know, that a guy is a coach's son when he really values, I think like keeping the integrity of the game, like Sean is never going to shortcut things. Um, you know, he's like a huge Larry bird fan. Right? You know, <laughs> That's awesome. He's a coach's son is, you know, mom and dad are from Massachusetts, you know, basketball people. Yeah. Um, his mom was a tremendous player at Providence college. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Like, uh, I think an all time, maybe rebounder. I hope I got that right. Oh my God. Um, and so Sean was, you know, he was special to coach too, because it was a kid that had a very different mentality than a lot of other players. Um, and, uh, you know, those four guys together, just awesome experience for me as a coach. That's awesome. That's great that you get to experience that. My question is also, is what are you going to do when uh, Matt and Devin play each other in the Ivy League? How are you going <laughs> to split those jerseys? <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Do I look like, you know, I think it was like the the Zeller brothers when Indiana was playing Carolina. Yeah. And they had like the split jersey. Um, <laughs> the nice part is they'll probably be watching, uh, well, you know, if Matt ever plays against Duke, I think he'll be watching mom and dad, you know, more. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't know for those guys, you know, maybe, uh, maybe a Harvard t-shirt and a Princeton hat or vice. And then for the next game, I'll have to flip it. Yeah. Right. Because they're going to be like, why didn't you wear the t-shirt? You know? Um, no, but I'm already looking forward to it. You know, I was actually talking to the, the coaching staff at Princeton the other day. Um, and I was like, man, it's, it's surreal that like, you know, next January, I'm going to try to find a time, you know, to find, to see that game. And then, you know, I will have two guys at Harvard. So Harvard's going to try to be, you know, probably having the leg up with me there cheering for him. But, uh, and then we have a guy at Cornell that at one point in time during this season was the leading three point shooter in the country. Oh my God. Keller Boothby, who's from Dallas, Texas. Wow. Um, he's a, you know, a freshman athletically because he missed, you know, the COVID year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll have, uh, we'll have guys at, um, Harvard, Princeton, uh, and Cornell. So, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun year to watch the Ivy league, man, coach, you're going to have to get like some kind of split. Like you might have to get like four split shirts with like, know, different know, like <laughs> colors on. A, that's yeah. a, that's I, think, I think they're all, I think they're all Nike. So I, maybe I could just like have somebody call up Nike and see if they can make a special split shirt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, but also what's like the greatest thing like to, I think as a coach to see, you know, your players go on the guys that you coach to move on to, you know, another level to play basketball, whether it be D1, D2, D3. Um, and just to see them like, like, you you know, you get to watch them grow up and see what they become as, you know, young men, but to see them move on to go to college, what's, how's that experience like? That's the best part. Yeah. You know, um, I think uh, we had two kids that went to Amherst College about three years apart. Um, and both played, you know, at, um, they played together for a year or two. Um, and they, you know, they played on a nationally ranked Amherst college team and that that's only about 35 minutes away from our campus. Yeah. So I got to see them multiple times, um, play a couple years ago when they were on that same team. Um, Joe Schneider was a senior and I think Devin was a freshman or a sophomore, um, and so going up there, being able to see those guys play together, play at a really high level, it's, it's really fun to watch. Um, and it's, 
it's cool to sit there too and you know just watch them like kind of slowly but surely really enter into like full adulthood right <laughs> where they're like seniors in college um and now you know planning their path after college um you know and I talked to Joe Schneider now who had a great career at Amherst College starting center on a nationally ranked team and now he's living in Chicago he's got a great job you know all that stuff and it's like okay you know like you're you're an adult now. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, that's it, great to go watch and play college basketball. And, you know, it, it's funny. Like I, I like for our younger guys here to see that because whether they go to division one, two or three, um, once you get there, you're, you know, fully like kind of ingrained in that, right. Um, in that experience. And so like we have a guy, uh, John Adams that graduated from our school in 2020. That's a sophomore at WPI. Yeah. And uh, WPI just made a run to the, uh, I think they lost in the sweet 16 um, in division three. And he had division one offers. Wow. And he actually turned him down to go to WPI because of a few things. There was a family connection to WPI um, and WPI was exactly what he wanted academically um yeah. it's such a great school yeah, yeah and you know now our younger guys here um were able to get to know john a little bit because he came back to campus and we you know some of our guys went to see him play and it was like wow whether you're in division one or division three when you're on a team that's when it doesn't really matter what level you are yeah right you're on a team you're doing some special things and if by chance you're on the team that's winning games you know, you're just fully in on that experience. And that's what I love for our younger guys to see is like, just go somewhere and put yourself entirely into the experience. And now it doesn't matter whether you're at Duke, Notre Dame, Amherst College, WPI, you're going to come out going, that was some of the best years of, those are some of the best years of my life. Yeah. Um, just, and as long as you're all in, and that's what we say here, that's, I, I don't mean to purposely throw that in, but like, that's kind of the saying that we use here in our program, all in. Yeah. And so as long as they keep that, you know, mindset of like, whatever team I go to, I'm all in, then you're going to have a great experience. And I think that's what happens for our guys. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing experience. And it's great for, uh, you know, for kids, I always tell kids, no matter what, like, wherever you get recruited, these three to two division one, you went, you won. You've like, you're just a small percentage of us that get to move on and go play a college sport yep. and you, and if you won and if you can get free tuition or some of your tuition paid for you, you won, you, you moved on and that's, and then you don't get that privilege to play at a, at a, at a next level. A lot of kids don't get that privilege. So it's very right. extremely lucky. And that's awesome that you have that experience and have players that are able to do that and then buy into that and be all in about it. Yeah. That's that's great. Um, and then you guys coaching in Nepsack. Uh, I mean, we play in Nepsack. What's it What's it like to play in Nepsack? You play in Class Double A. We we talked about it. Uh, you play against St. Andrews, Coach Coach Hart. Uh, you know, what's it like to be in, be in that division? Um, you you can't sleep. Uh, <laughs> um, you, you can't sleep. I mean, or you know, Nepsack basketball is great from triple a to class d um and when you're in class double a which you know we've been from the very beginning of double a it was created in the spring of 2010 
um, along with AAA. They were created in the, you know, the, with the same idea that these would be two open conferences. Anybody could join. It wouldn't be dependent upon your enrollment like the other classes are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a very unique conference in NEPSAC AA. Um, you know, we have Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, um, Kimball Union, uh, you know, which is uh, in New Hampshire with Tilton and Proctor. Um, I think the only state maybe we don't have is Maine. We did have Gould at one point, but they, they had dropped out. So it had covered, you know, like almost the entire region of New England. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was kind of unique. Uh, the talent was high level. And, you know, I can remember a couple of years where you would look at the seventh and eighth team in the league and they would have multiple division one players in their starting lineup. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, we've never had, I think we had maybe 17 schools at one point at our max. Yeah. Um, I think it, now it's, it's 15. Um, but I'm looking at like, you know, the school that finished eighth this year, they're really good. They're really good. <laughs> um, and that's what I mean. You know, when I say like, you don't, you don't get any sleep as a coach. Um, I say that half kidding, <clears throat> excuse me, because, you know, you play anybody in the league and you're like, well, yeah, they might be down. They might be in 10th or 11th place, but they have this like one kid, you know, that could really go off and he could get you for like 25. And then, you know, it's not just truly the one kid because then he might have some incredible role players around him that, you know, they can make shots, right. Or like, you know, they, they do their job in the mid to low post. And, you know, if he's hot, they might end up getting their 10, 12, 13 points. And then we're in trouble, you know, and if you go play on the road, Oh my gosh, if you go play <laughs> on the road in these gyms, you know, we have great student sections in our league and they're, you know, they're on you, you know, they're on you. Um, you know, they like to, you know, point out, I think my height when I would be, you know, yelling at the Filipowskis and they'd be like, get on a stepladder, you know, something <laughs> like that. Um, I love the student sections. Um, so it's, it's like this, you know, all encompassing like league that just is, is competitive from top to bottom and the coaches. Um, I think we have great camaraderie amongst the coaches. Um, That's great. You know, we, we mentioned Coach Hart, who I think is pretty much like, uh, what would we call him? Like the president emeritus, <laughs> maybe, of, of AA, um, because he, he was really like the commissioner or president of the league for, you know, probably the first uh, 10 years or so it existed, or, you know, nine or 10 years it existed. And then I took over after him. Um, and, uh, you know, we have other guys. Um, you know, Kevin, the coach at Lawrence Academy, he's been there from the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, we've even had a, a guy or two that has changed schools in the conference, but have been in the conference from the beginning. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of continuity in coaching. You have Jamie Sullivan, who just won the NEPSAC AA championship. Yeah. And, you know, he started as an assistant at Worcester Academy, I think 20 plus years ago. And I think he might've worked for Mo Kassara, then Eddie Riley, then became head coach. And there was no one more deserving in New England of a New England championship than Jamie Sullivan because he does it the right way. Um, you know, he, 
he's a great mentor for his kids. He can really coach. And so, you know, you put all those coaches together and I joke around when we have coaches meetings in the spring and in the fall. Um, sometimes I kind of wonder like how the old coaches in the old big East, you know, with like Rolly Massimino, like yelling at people across the room, like that might be Mike Hart. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and then, you know, you have some other guys that, you know, just managed to kind of, you know, just kind of needle some of the other guys during the meeting and, um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, we all have lunch together. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I really do think that while we are in it, of course, for the success of our own programs and, you know, we recruit to our own programs against each other. Um, when double A stays really good, um, really competitive with high level talent and we schedule kind of nationally in a way we all win. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, we all really do see that you know, is, is that, um, when Worcester Academy just had the year that they had, we all win. Um, you know, so it's, it's just good. It's, it's a great league to be a part of. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it seems like, I mean, I've, I've had, I mean, I spoke with coach Hart and he seems great, but it seems like that continuity is like a huge thing. And it seems like I would love to be a fly on the wall in those meetings to see how you guys oh. talk to each <laughs> other and react. Man. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's really something. It's really something we don't, the only thing we don't do is we really don't golf together. Yeah. Um, and I don't play golf, so that's fine with me, but, um, but you know, when we get in those meetings, um, you know, we've been on zoom for two years, so I'm looking forward to getting in person. I think this spring for the first time since I guess it would have been the fall of 2019. We haven't been in the same room. Wow. Um, that's that's so, crazy looking forward to getting back together and then I'll leave and probably be like, all right, I need a six month break from this guy. <laughs> hey, but, hey, that's, but that's fun though. It sounds like you guys have a, a good time. And then, you know, after you see them and you're like, all right, maybe not. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I, and then coach you as well too, you, you won a, a championship, a double A championship uh, a few years ago. What was that feeling like? And what was that run like for you guys? Uh, the, the run was something, you know, really special. Um, we were a, a four seed. Um, so we were able to host a home playoff game. Uh, we had one of the best crowds that I had, you know, ever seen in my, in my time here. Um, all those guys that we previously talked about that are now seniors, they were all sophomores. Wow. Um, but we were, you know, led in a way by, uh, John Adams that I mentioned before. And we had, we had added the perfect postgraduates to that recruiting class. Um, we had three postgraduates, Keller Boothby was at Cornell, Sinke Stevens was at NYU, um, and, um, and Keyshawn Collier um, that was from Tennessee that came up here from Nashville. Wow. So we had a two Texas and one Nashville. So huh. I had it rolling in the South, that recruiting <laughs> class. <laughs> um, but we added those guys and it was, um, I couldn't ask for, you know, when you have postgraduates, every coach will tell you this, um, postgraduate is always a little bit of a gamble Yeah. because, um, sure you get to know them during the recruiting process, but you're always as a coach, if we're being truthful here, you're always kind of wondering like, are they going to come in for themselves? Or are they going to come in for the team with themselves? You know, like kind of a good mixture of that. Yeah. Right. A good combination of like, okay. Let's win some games, but at the same time, you know, this is my last chance at getting a college, you know, offer a, a scholarship, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, 
those three guys, I couldn't ask for better guys. Uh, um, awesome. Sin K. Steven came in as our starting point guard. He battled through an early injury. So Keyshawn Collier kind of moved over to the one spot for like the first two weeks of the season. Did a great job. Um, Sin K was just a great kid to coach. Gifted. Keller Boothby, 6'7", shoot the lights out. Um, really easy to coach. Uh, and then you had Keyshawn Collier, who, you know, gave us the athleticism and the defensive presence on the floor to, you know, really impact the game. And he was very much like the yes, sir, no, sir kind of guy. Yeah. Um, so we added those three guys to the recruiting class and they just gelled from day one. Um, and, uh, you know, I can remember we were having a practice in the summer that year because we were getting ready for the NEPSAC showcase. That was the very first one that we had in June. Yeah. And they all moved into the dorm on the same day for that weekend in the summer. And then they all walked into practice together. And I remember John Adams kind of leading them into practice. Like he had to show a couple guys where the gym was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because there was like one or two guys, I think that hadn't, had never been to campus. And, um, I remember John walking in and, uh, he kind of walked by me and John looked at me and he was like, we're off to a good start. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and he, but he knew it. And that's a credit to John because he was a mature guy that understood. Yeah. Like, you know, the quicker we come together, the easier it will be when we hit a speed bump. Right. Yeah. And we hit a couple speed bumps, Jeff, we hit a couple <laughs> speed bumps, you know, it was a 30 game season. Wow. And, you know, we played 30 games and um, we went on that run. Uh, we didn't really secure our playoff spot until the second to last weekend of the season. Wow. That's and then, you know, we won a couple in a row and we had a couple kind of like power wins, you know, what you would call now like quad one type of wins. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually got us over the hump into the four spot. Um, and, you know, we went from there. We uh, we won a tight first round game. Um, Kyle Filipowski at Cushing made a three at the buzzer, literally to put us into overtime at Cushing. Oh my God. And then in the championship game, we actually played Worcester for the third time. Oh, <laughs> uh, and it's like, you know, playing a team for the third time and Worcester's 40 minutes away. Yeah. Yeah. Like We've played Worcester more than any other school in the last, like probably six years. And uh, I was, it was like, Oh man, this is brutal. A third time, <laughs> you know, we're, we're down 15 points going into the last minute of the first half. And I looked like an idiot because I was trying to make a couple changes here and there. We couldn't figure stuff out. Yeah. You would have thought I never, I, you would have thought I never coached a game of basketball in my life. <laughs> you know, some people probably still think that that's fine. Um, but man, it, it was rough. And then we made this comeback in the second half, um, you know, and then you throw the whole COVID thing on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the world changed the next day. Oh yeah. It's crazy. It was, it was like thousands of people at the championship game. And then the next day you start to hear about like, well, the Ivy league's not going to play their tournament. And, you know, two days later, there was, I think like a big Eastern a 10 game canceled at halftime. Yeah, there's a big easy. So you game, throw yeah. all that in, and I, I think, you know, then I started having to get together with the with the players on Zoom in the spring, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Um, because they were all home. 
but I think it made them kind of appreciate each other a little bit more as a team. Like, wow, thank God we were able to get that season in. Yeah, you know, yeah exactly. Get that playoff in. So it was a great run. Um, the school hadn't won a championship. Um, and I think it was 34 years. I think the last time wow. we hung up boys basketball championship banner was 86. Wow. So, you know, we had um, some, some alumni in attendance at the championship game um, that had graduated, I think from, you know, the Academy, like the class of maybe 73 or 74. Um, and they had won a championship. So, you know, that the 86 one was kind of in between. So for those guys, it was really cool to see. Yeah. Um, you know, and we had had administrators at our school that had been here for, um, you know, 31 and 32 years who had just missed that previous championship. And so this was like a first timer for them. So that's, that's really cool. That's cool that you, yeah. well, like you said before, everything before COVID hit and everything to have those guys and everyone to show up and see that championship as well to get, get the championship in thankfully yeah. as well too, which is, which is crazy. So it must've been a wild scene to be, have those thousand people. I'm sure the, the banner presentation must've been cool. Did you guys get rings? Or did you do jackets? What'd you guys do? Well, we're, we're actually working on rings now. So um, we started working on some rings. We hit, we hit a couple <laughs> obstacles, a, a little bit of COVID complication in there. Yeah. Um, you know, with figuring out how to do things. And, um, but now we're, we're back on the path of, trying to get everybody together at, we're hoping for a June dinner. Oh, nice. Um, during our alumni weekend. That's so, uh, we're trying to work on that because the, the whole team hasn't gotten back together since That's crazy. I think that day was March. We haven't been together since March 8th of 2020. That's crazy. That's two years. If you guys have not two years, two haven't years. seen each other. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, it is. We, we did have something last year on the anniversary of the game last year. We actually all got on zoom and we watched the game together. Oh, that's cool. Um, and we had, you know, something like including managers, we had like 14 of the like 17 members of the team. Wow. So it was, it was good, but I'm really hoping to get, you know, everybody together uh, this summer and celebrate the right way. That's awesome. Yeah. Hope, hopefully that hopefully everyone can make it. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy yeah. to think about that. That's two years. I'm like coach pretty much like ran like the past couple of years. It's been, it's been wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, coach, when you, and I, I, there's something cool that you brought up that I, I want to touch upon that when you bring other guys in like post-grads and mm -hmm. you have your freshmen and um, sophomores as well too, like how, do they, how do you get them to all gel or is that just something over that happens over the season? Do you guys do any team bonding moments? Cause it's almost like a college experience as well too, where you, you're bringing in a bunch of new guys, like, what uh what goes into that experience as well too yeah um well you know there, there definitely is some team bonding uh you know planned yeah right um like mandatory fun as i like <laughs> to call it um you know there there's been quite a few years where in the fall you know we try to have a, a team get together you know before the first long weekend comes and everybody goes back home mm -hmm. um we usually try to, you know, plan it around like college football or something like that. Yeah. Um, the key is this will be no surprise to you or really anybody else. Feed them. 
You know, be the, that will be the theme of today's podcast, right? Theme, feed the teenagers. Um, when we feed them, things go pretty well. Um, you know, listen, we'll, we'll sit here. You know, I can sit here kind of like a, an old soul and say like that social media ruins everything. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's completely true um, because now you're able to connect uh, recruiting classes and new team members with, you know, maybe team members that are coming back, right? Players that have been here for a few years. Like in 2019, I was able to connect John Adams, Liam Murphy, and some other guys to the Filipowskis and Sean Seymour as they were coming in. Yeah. Um, and they just do it naturally now because now I'll have a junior that will come into my office and I'll say, hey, we're recruiting this guy. He'll look him up right away, you know, and maybe either find him on Snapchat or Instagram and, you know, he'll add him, right. Like, or follow each other right away. Yeah. And I don't even really have to, you know, push him in that direction because the kids feel really comfortable with their phones. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's the nice part about the phones and social media is they're not afraid to connect on there, but now here comes the old guy, right? Now it's, you get them in person and now it's a 3d person, right? Like in yeah. front of you, you know? So now it's like, all right, conversation, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, here's the, the common bond is that they, they love the game of basketball. So, you know, the first, one of the first things we try to do is match up guys in small groups for workouts. Very mm -hmm. first week we're here. So I'll take a guy that's been here for three years and I'll put him with the two postgraduates, okay. um, you know, and that's how we try to start. So it's, it's a little bit of that mandatory fun. Then it's working out together. Um, we also do conditioning in the fall. And, you know, uh, I joke around with our head of school here sometimes because our head of school um, is a former Army Ranger. <laughs> and, you know, we joke around because he'll say, you know, we kind of have this laugh in the fall when he sees, you know, the boys, you know, running hills or something like that. He'll say to me, like, you got it again, coach. He's like, the one thing that can really bond guys together is when they suffer together, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you have to run hills or you're running our triangle, you know, at 6.30 in the morning, I hope recruits aren't listening. Um, <laughs> that That's, you know, we're, we're on the track on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, that's another thing. So, you know, you, you just got to keep chipping away at the things that are going to bring them together because it's not going to be like one bowling party. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not going to be one pizza party. It's not going to be one team workout. You just have to stay consistent. And so it's, yeah, you know, the first weekend they're here. Okay. Pairing you guys up in groups for tomorrow's workouts. Then in the middle of the week, well, on Wednesday afternoon, we're getting together on the track and we're having a conditioning workout. And then Friday night, we're coming to my house or Saturday night, we're coming to my house for pizza and college football. Yeah. Now in the first week, they've been around each other in three different, you know, settings and they've had fun. They've worked on their skill set and they've suffered together a little bit. And <laughs> we just keep doing that in the fall. And, um, you know, you can only do so much. You got to have the right personalities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a big part of it. If you have someone that doesn't want to buy in, um, you know, you can go to the end of the earth and try to connect them with guys and try to have guys reach out. But, um, that's why you got to get to know your, you know, your kids and you got to really, you know, 
we, we talk about culture and that's important, but it's the character of the guys that are coming in first because the, the culture is second. It gets created by the character that you bring in. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. And I think those are all great ideas. Do you ever find yourself on like social media, like having to do like, a, do you ever try to like do TikToks or anything like that to kind of like expand that <laughs> out there? Anything like that? Like, you mean in terms of promotion? Yeah, like you like do like dance. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm oh, not a whoa, whoa, so. listen now. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. T- well, okay. So TikTok, no, I can tell you that. Um, my my oldest, uh, our oldest son has TikTok, and sometimes like I'll just kind of watch over his shoulder. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, you're not gonna get me actually like on TikTok. Yeah. Um, um no we're so, not gonna see see coach dancing on tiktok or anything <laughs> no, no, no. The, the closest we probably come to that is um uh this year after a win on the road they got me to dance in the locker room <laughs> okay um, and i'm not adverse to that i like to have fun like, yeah yeah exactly room, yeah, yeah. you know you gotta enjoy the wins yeah um uh so yeah but no me on tiktok <laughs> those two oh man i wish the guys were in my office right now because they'd get it kick out of that question i stick to twitter and you know on my personal twitter account sometimes i like to infuse a little irish dry humor um <laughs> and i could be self-deprecating i suppose and i you know i enjoy that maybe that's why coach hart and i do so well together um but yeah the, the tiktok thing that's a big no <laughs> I figure, figure I'd throw it out there. I know there's like all everyone's social media. Don't worry, I'm not on TikTok either, so I don't, I don't know anything yeah. about it. I'm, I'm above. Well, I'm in my 30s, so I'm in that range where I'm like, uh, no, I'm off that. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Some people do different things for recruiting. I've heard some guys actually use TikTok to help with their recruiting. So yeah, no, I could see actually TikTok's uh, viewership like getting really hurt by me just joining it. <laughs> the stock will plummet <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right exactly right i'm not going to turn tiktok into bitcoin by me dancing on TikTok. that right now i love it that's awesome um but coach also i want to take a step back too is how did you get into coaching and where did the passion come from um i think a few uh a few things kind of led me in that direction i'll i'll say that um, like I definitely wasn't chosen to be a coach. <laughs> um, I had to, you know, I, I kind of sought it out for myself yep. and, and kind of figured it out myself. Um, you know, uh, it, it probably goes back maybe, you know, I'm sure a lot of guys, if they looked back far enough, they'd have a similar kind of feeling and story. Um, I was a YMCA kid growing up. Yeah, um, I grew up just down the road from Wilbraham, uh, a place, um, Holyoke, Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. The birthplace of volleyball. Oh, I did so, not know that. Um, yeah. And even people that live in Holyoke don't know that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but I was a YMCA kid, you know, from probably the age of about seven or eight up. Yeah. Um, and kept going back to the Y, you know, every summer when I'd be home from college. Well, I'm seven, eight years old, you know, 11, 12 years old and, you know, in middle school and junior high. And I'm playing in the, you know, Saturday and Sunday rec leagues. Yeah. And we had this really cool um, core of guys that were in there at the time. Uh, 
I guess they would have been like in their early thirties, most of them that were our coaches. And every year it was like clockwork. They were the coaches for the leagues I was playing in when I was, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had guys with great nicknames that were coaches. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, a, a guy that I grew up to admire, nickname was Oki uh, by the last name of O'Connell. Um, he was like a, he was a hero in town. He was a, he was a police officer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and a couple of, you know, a bunch of his friends, it was his circle. And, you know, so they went to the same high school that I ended up going to. So like, you know, as a guy that was, you know, close to being a teenager, I could start to see like, oh, like that will be me potentially, you know, yeah, in yeah. Like 20, 25 years, something like that. Um, and they were good guys. They were good men. You know, and they were they were good mentors for kids and they loved the game of basketball. These guys were, yeah, they played other sports, but they were really basketball guys. Yeah. And um, you know, so I'd hear them talking about North Carolina and you know, we'd watch games in the TV, uh, the lobby of the Y, you know, that would be on. Yeah. Um, and and so I kind of, you know, I ended up growing up and you know, admiring those guys in a way. And then, you know, fast forward now into like college. And I'm now coaching on Saturday mornings. I drive home from college and I would coach in the league, you know, and I was only, you know, 21, 22. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And now those guys were getting older and some of them had kids, some of them were still coaching. And, uh, and, you know, so now I'm in college and I'm coaching at the Y and one of the guys that was one of those longtime coaches at the Y, he's a pretty successful high school coach in Western Massachusetts. And I'm also now studying sport management at UMass. And I pick up a part-time, uh, you know, a work study job. Yeah. Um, with the basketball team at UMass. And, you know, it's pretty big thing in Western Mass because this is just, you know, three or four years removed from Marcus Camby. Oh, wow. So, you know, UMass, the name still had a lot of pop. Yeah. Yeah. And so now, you know, I'm that kid from Holyoke that's working for the UMass basketball team, studying sport management. Um, and so now these these guys that I thought were like basketball gods in my city, you know, they're starting to ask me questions, you know. And I think it helped there. Once in a while, I got them some tickets for the games. Yeah. So <laughs> and, and one guy in particular, a guy by the name of Jim Hart, um, he's, the, he's a varsity basketball coach in Western Mass. And he says to me, you want to volunteer while you're home for Christmas break? And I was like, man, I, I didn't, you know, really ever have a thought of that before. Um, I was now I was really starting to fall in love with the game of basketball at a really high level. Yeah. Yeah. And baseball was a little bit of my thing in high school, but I had moved on from baseball baseball. had moved on from me. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't hit a curveball, So that was a pretty easy decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try it during Christmas break. You know, I'll go to practices. And um, I think the first thing he had me do was, was keep deflections. He was a big deflection guy. I think oh, that yeah. was a, it was either like a Hubie Brown or a Rick Patino kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he ever asked me in the season how many deflections we ever had, <laughs> um, but I had my pencil and I had my paper and I was all good there. And I was in practice and I was, you know, a passer and, and, um, I did, 
you know, I got a little bit of use out of, um, I would watch pretty closely at UMass, um, the post player workouts that were, um, you know, in practice and out of practice. Yep. And, and I was getting some of that and then watching some of the guards at the time we had a couple really good guards. Um, Larry Kettner who played in the NBA was a big guy on the team back then. Um, so we had some good players watching some of that. So I took some of the player development, some of the very basic things and started trying to do that now. Cause I'm like kind of a high school coach. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. I was the, I was bit by the coaching bug when you, you know, it was a really cool combination for me because I was getting to coach, you know, a little bit with the high school team. Yeah. You know, I had just a little bit of a voice with the team that year. Um, and Jimmy was really good to me and, you know, we, we would watch film and stuff like that. And then, you know, I was going back to UMass and I was sitting in on college practices. So now I was incredibly fortunate, Jeff, cause it was okay. I think I want to do this coaching thing, Yeah, but I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I'm back, um, you know, in, uh, spring workouts, you know, at UMass and I'm, now I'm watching a little bit more of the player development stuff. Um, but that's when I had, I guess, the good sense to really get to know the coaches. Yeah. Um, and you know, my dad was always really big on, you know, you got to get to know people because they'll help you in the future. Maybe a little bit, maybe a lot, but, um, you know, my dad was, um, my dad was, uh, worked for the postal service for like, you know, 35 ish years and, you know, just a blue collar guy and was just like, look, here's the two things you got to do. You got to show them that you're willing to work and, you know, do some things maybe that they're not even expecting, you know, even if it's just like a little bit extra time. Yeah. And then get to know the people. Those are the two things that you can do to help yourself. And so, you know, at UMass, I would volunteer to work a little bit like in the summer, even when I wasn't getting paid. So I'd go into the office, you know, if the secretary was like going on vacation in the summer wow. and I would be the secretary in the UMass basketball office for literally like a week. I was the secretary. Wow. Like, thank God I didn't have to use the typewriter because <laughs> she was an all-star at the typewriter. And I'm looking at this thing going like, what in the hell is this thing? Right. <laughs> um, now I'm too old where we didn't have laptops either. So it was like, you know, I think there was a desktop computer, but I wasn't sure. I'm not sure. So. Um, so I would just do a little bit of extra like that. And, you know, you start hanging around, you know, I guess this is a good lesson for young coaches or professionals. If you put in a little bit of that extra time, that's unexpected, but not just, don't just sit there, like do something. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I would ask, you know, Jeff Arnold was our associate head coach. Who's now at Ryder university and, yeah. and, been, at, and been at St. Joe's. Um, Jeff was, you know, kind of like our leading recruiter, uh, um, you know, at the time as our associate head coach, Tony Barbie was on the coaching staff um, at the time, you know, who's now the head coach at central Michigan. Wow. Um, and, you know, has been with John Calipari, you know, a couple different times. Yeah. Um, and a couple other guys like that in the business, Chuck Martin, who was just um, at uh, South Carolina with Frank Martin. Oh, wow. And so I got to know those guys that, you know, this was 20 years ago now. Um, and they were kind of coming up in the coaches ranks, but they were pretty well established. Um, and 
I would stuff envelopes because back then we were doing a recruiting mail out, you know, once every couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, keeping my dad's postal service in business, I suppose. Right? <laughs> uh, I feel like a racket that I had going on, you know, yeah. like buying stamps. <laughs> so, um, but that, you know, I would just, I would sit there during the day and I would stuff envelopes and we had the big high school directories. I don't know if those things even exist anymore. So you would go into, it looked almost like a, looked like almost like a mini yellow pages. Yeah. Yeah. Go in and they'd say, Hey, update the directory. We need all the high schools in Massachusetts. Make sure we know who the current high school boys basketball coaches. Wow. And so, you know, I'd update the directory and, you know, do different things like that in the summer. And I can even remember one year, I don't think I went away for spring break and I stayed and I worked. Um, and so sure enough, I got to know Bruiser Flint really well. And now you fast forward, I guess it was 06. And um, I decided to leave the division two job that I was coaching it. Yeah. Um, I was coaching at a little place called Western New Mexico University. Oh. <laughs> so you move a kid from Holyoke, Massachusetts, <laughs> to Silver City, New Mexico, and interesting things happen. Right. Um, but I was there for two years. I was basically the only full time assistant coach. Um, and I had just come out of an internship in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. You were with the Pacers, um, right? Yeah. And I mean, the Pacers thing, you know, we could spend three hours on that. Right? Yeah. Like Rick Carlisle was the head coach. Um, it was his first year as head coach of the Pacers. He had just left the Pistons. Yes. So, um, I got to watch practice every single day. That's awesome. With Rick Carlisle as the head coach. And to be honest, like when I have recruits sit here now and their families. Yeah that's the person that I reference the most in terms of like recruits always ask you, how do you play? Yep. Like what's your style? And I answered kind of in a short version of what Rick Carlisle did, which was show me who I have and what they do well. And then I'll show you how we're going to play. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. Um, you know, I wish I could have like a Carolina secondary break and have whoever I want but I can't yeah. get whoever I want. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's what I learned there offensively. I lived with Mike Brown for a month. Wow. Um, when I didn't have an apartment anymore, when my lease ran out and I was going to summer league when they used to have summer league in Utah. Yeah. And, you know, Mike Brown who ended up being with, you know, the Cavs twice and the Lakers and now, um, you know, the Warriors and he's been with Steve Kerr for a while. Um, you know, Mike was known as the defensive guy. In, in a way, um, Dan Burke was on that coaching staff, who's now with Doc Rivers in Philly. Dan Burke taught me, um, <laughs> Dan Burke taught me that the players get the wins. Yeah. You do the best you can as a coach to give them the best opportunity to win the game. Yeah. And Dan was a big film guy and also became, you know, known as one of the best defensive guys in the NBA. Like he would do shell drill for like six hours if he could, you know, um, but you know, Dan, Dan Burke, who you know, I, I'm still really lucky to talk to a couple times a year. Um, you know, it's funny. We, he's just a, he's just a humble guy. And he reminds you, you know, of kind of his philosophy and his saying that he got from um, a guy named slick Leonard, you know, that name. That sounds familiar. But. Slick Leonard was a legendary coach with the Pacers. Okay. 
And I think Slick played at Indiana back in, which was probably like the forties. Yeah. You get a nickname um, like that. And Slick, Slick <laughs> just recently passed away. Oh. Um, but Slick used to say, you know, when, when people used to celebrate him as a coach for winning games when he was with the Pacers, yeah. Slick used to say, I've never seen a jockey carry a horse over the finish line. <laughs> that's you know, a good, that's and, a good. and just like just a nice midwestern way to say um you know the players get you there yeah you know and i and and that's one thing that i took from all the guys at the pace you know those guys at the pacers um chad forcier was the fourth assistant on that coaching staff with the pacers he's now at the milwaukee bucks wow. he was basically a like player development guru before there were player development gurus yeah yeah um so I got to watch him and not only was he a tremendous player development guy, but the reason why he was so effective in that role is because he had a relationship with each one of the guys that he would work with and they really trusted him. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason they really trusted him was because Chad would be in there at seven o'clock on a Sunday morning Wow! in May. That's crazy. With a rookie who maybe, you know, sat on the bench for most of the game in a, most of the games in a suit, you know, that wasn't even an active player. So what Chad showed them was I'm all in on your development. Yeah. You know, like this is a group effort here. This is, you know, an investment that the team has made that the club has made and I'm all, I'm here for you. And he always showed me that. And I took that with me when I started coaching in college. So, you know, get back on my story here. So, um, I coached in division two for a couple of years. I got to recruit out West. I got to know the junior college scene, um, in Texas and in Arizona, which the Arizona JUCOs at the time were loaded with talent. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I was a full-time coach at the age of like, like 25. Wow. Um, and then I, you know, move away from that job and I'm a guy without a job. Yeah. And the guy that helped me get back in and get a job um, was Bruiser Flint. And, you know, I was on the phone probably every other day for the three weeks that I was looking for a job. Yeah. I was on the phone every other day with Bruiser Flint. And um, I owe that man a level of gratitude um, that I'll never be able to repay because I did not have a job. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, And, uh, you know, I'm trying to explain to my family, like, all right, I'm driving back from New Mexico. Yeah. You know, I'm going to figure this out. I got to move into the attic for a little while. Right. <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, here I'm on the phone, like, like I said, like almost every day with Bruiser and he's like, all right, you know, um, I'm, I'm talking to Cal about a grad assistant position for you at Memphis. We'll see if that can work out. Wow. Um, LIU Brooklyn had an opening at the time. So while I'm driving back across country, I'm stopping and interviewing at LIU Brooklyn on my way back to Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And at the time it was a guy named Jimmy Ferry, who was the head coach there. That's now the head coach at UMBC. Oh, okay. And Jimmy was a a tremendous, tremendous coach. Great man. um, Hires me at LIU Brooklyn. And I don't think I've ever told this story recorded before. Oh boy. Um, not that you should feel special. It's probably boring, but like (laughs) just today, I just dawned on me. Um, so now, you know, I make the drive across country and I'm slowly, but surely watching some dominoes fall at kind of a weird point in the calendar. Yeah. 
because typically almost all of the coaching firings and hirings and the complete cycle is usually done by May. Yeah. Yeah. You know, March and April are hot months for college coaches, but you get to May and if you don't have a job in May, there's a good chance you're not going to have a job. Yeah. So now this is July. And now luckily in July, there still are some small college opportunities available. Yeah. But guess what? They're small colleges with small budgets. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. They don't pay much. Yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> so you might be living in that attic for a little while longer. Right. <laughs> and so now, you know, Jimmy Ferry actually hires me at LIU Brooklyn. Wow. So now I'm back here in Wilbraham because my dad had actually moved to Wilbraham, had nothing to do with Wilbraham Munson Academy. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in this, in this town has, you know, like 12,000, 14,000 people. It's not a big place. Yeah, yeah. So I'm here in Wilbraham, staying with my dad. I take the job at LIU Brooklyn as a graduate assistant, kind of going to be like a director of basketball operations at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pumped. It's my first Division One job. And, you know, like I said, I'm like 25-ish. yeah. And, you know, I've, I've just really, I've hit a home run. And back at that time, Jeff, the NCAA had a rule that you were, if you were in an administrative position, you still had a 30 mile radius around your campus where you could go recruiting. Okay. But you couldn't talk to the kids cause you weren't, you weren't in that role. Yeah. But you could go right. And you could go take some notes, you know, you could, you know, and bring him back to your boss. So Jimmy Ferry was like, I want you out there. I want you at Archbishop Malloy. I want you at Rice. I want you at Lincoln. Um, I want you at Christ the King. I want you going to a couple high school games every night. And sure, taking some notes on some kids, coming back to us with some names, but make sure that you shake hands with each high school coach at the end of each game. Oh, wow. And again, that's kind of like what my dad taught. Yeah. Right. Know the people. So that was the plan. Well, as I like to say, you know, you want to make God laugh, tell him what your plan is. (laughs) So now I'm about a week away from moving to LIU, Brooklyn. And, um, and Bruiser Flint helped me get that job because he knew Jimmy Ferry. Yeah. So now some, some interesting dominoes had fallen in the summer. I'll give you the short version of it. I remember actually sitting in my hotel as I was driving across country before interviewing at LIU. Yeah. And I read something on ESPN that Barry Collier has stepped down as the head coach at Nebraska. And he's going back to Butler, but to be the AD because he was the coach there. Yeah. Barry Collier was the guy that really got Butler basketball rolling. Got it going. So Nebraska's open. And I, you know, like ESPN always does, they right away mention a couple names that will probably be thrown out there for Nebraska. So at the time, Doc Sadler is the head coach at UTEP. And they say Doc Sadler is probably the number one guy for Nebraska because he's doing a great job at UTEP. Yeah, yeah. Now, I call somebody that's, um, you know, very well versed in, in some of these moving parts here. And they said to me, look, this, this is kind of a long trail of breadcrumbs here. That might not happen. But if Doc takes the Nebraska job, 
Tony Barbie is going to be first in line for the UTEP job because at the time Memphis is in Conference USA. Yeah. And Memphis is just killing everybody in Conference yeah. USA. Yeah. So they said it makes a lot of sense that Tony could be first up for the UTEP job. So Doc Sadler gets Nebraska. I'm like, okay, there's one piece of the puzzle, but there's still like six pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, left, they, right? they go. <laughs> so now Tony Barbie actually gets the UTEP job. <laughs> and the and the, what I was being told was Tony's gonna grab some some UMass guys that are coaching at some different places. And that could create opening for me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but like, you know, fingers crossed, like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, lighting <laughs> candles, here we go. You know? <laughs> Like saying my prayers for it. And, you know, fast forward like two weeks and every domino that I needed to fall fell. So Bruiser Flint calls me and Bruiser says to me, did you take the LIU job yet? And I said, yeah, I did. I'm going out there in like a week. Yeah. He goes, hold on, don't go. (laughs) So I said, what's up? And he said, well, someone's going to leave my staff and go to UTEP. Yeah. And at the time, Bruiser's at now, he's been at Drexel University for like, I guess, about four years. Yeah. And here it is. I'm just the guy that worked on spring break stuff in envelopes and, you know, didn't play a minute of basketball, you know, past like junior high school. And he says, "Um, we'll, we'll figure this whole thing out, but I want you to be my director of basketball operations. Wow. And then, you know, I spent a couple of years there and really enjoyed, you know, a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it was just kind of called back home this way for, you know, some family stuff. It happens. Um, and uh, had a chance to, you know, get back and, and really coach. I kind of I kind of missed the coaching aspect, you know, as, as an operations guy. I mean, there's a lots of good stuff, but you know, you're, you're doing a lot of logistical things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes um, yeah. kind of missed the coaching aspect of things and, and really being out there for practice. And well, I was fortunate. I did, I did a good amount of basketball stuff at Drexel, but um, you know, came back here and uh, settled into the prep school world. Wow. That's crazy. It was the, the Wilbraham and uh, Monson job open. Like you start off as assistant and work your way up or start like, off as assistant. Yeah. 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 Start off as assistant. Um, and uh, um, actually the, the gentleman that was head coach here before me that I worked for, we coached in college um, against each other. Wow. Um, just as luck would have it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so just, I was fortunate to have that connection. And then um you know, uh, I was lucky where, you know, he kind of helped me find some things around school to do, um, during the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so just, you know, kind of piece some things together and, um, you know, here we are 13 years later and, um, you know, here it is. That's awesome. That's crazy. It's crazy. how like things like, wait, Jeff, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble if I don't say in, in this, uh, in year one, I met my wife here. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> oh, we're recording, right? Yes, okay. we are recording. All right, all right. I got it. I got it in there. I got it in there. Boy, oh boy, that would have been good. <laughs> That's good. No, you cover yourself I, on that I, one. No, but it's 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 really you know it's uh, that life moment that really makes you sit back and go, wow. When you think to yourself, um, you know, here we are, thirteen years later, and I was not married, <laughs> and now married with three kids. That's crazy. That's so, wild. So, um, 
you know, Wilbraham and Munson uh, meant a lot of life changes. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> a lot of big life changes. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's great how it works out. It's funny how life works out like that. And like you said, dominoes falling in place and things just work out like that. And it's just funny how life uh, brings you, you know, you brings your bones back home and now you're yeah. working for uh, you know, a great school and doing great things there. Um, I want to know too, like everything that you, all the experiences that you have had of division one, division two, uh, you know, being an MBA, how do you pull that into making your own coaching philosophy? Um, well, I'll, I'll go back to Dan Burke, um, where, you know, he had always stressed with me, be yourself. Yep. Because the players will be able to tell if you're not. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, I think we all struggle with that as coaches to some degree, right? Because, you know, sometimes you, you have no choice. You have to do something that you might feel uncomfortable with or, you know, doesn't necessarily fit your personality. Yeah. Um, you know, someday will I have to jump on TikTok? I might. <laughs> Does it fit my personality? Absolutely really not. not. No, but someday <laughs> I might have to. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think – yeah. First and foremost, it is, um, you know, make sure you're being yourself. And then that, you know, that creates like a really, you know, broad path there. Right. Like, and yeah. then, you know, you kind of have to hone it, hone it in a little bit. And, um, you know, so I think Jeff, what I've done is I've had the opportunity to work for great head coaches before, uh, taking over myself here. Yeah. And I think I've kind of just naturally, I don't, I don't know if this was necessarily my plan, but I've just kind of naturally taken things from every one of those head coaches. And like I said, with Dan and all the rest of the guys at the Pacers, the assistant coaches that were you know ranked well above me. Yeah. Um, I've taken things from them that I knew I could do naturally. So Bruiser Flint was, and you know, is um, an incredibly detailed oriented leader. Yeah. Um, when you travel on the road, this is what the plan is. And this is what we're going to do. Um, so I think that's something that I've kind of uh, adopted as my own. Um, even though our road trips here at prep schools are much smaller. Yeah. Like we have a certain way we do things on the road because that's the way we do it. Um, and that's the way I believe works. Yeah. Right. And now I've changed a little bit over time, you know, um, uh, like one thing we've had to kind of, I've kind of had to sit back and think about is like, you know, the headphones and earbuds and stuff like that. You know, um, when I was first head coach, it was like, you know, headphones off as soon as we get off the bus. Yeah. Well, now the guys are seeing like every other kid in the universe with headphones on in the bleachers. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And you know, their, their headphones and their devices have just grown more important. So like, I'm not, trying to take, I'm not, I'm not trying to stress guys out before a game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of, you adapt there. Right. And, and so that's what I took from, you know, Bruiser Flint, be detailed, have a plan. Um, but don't be afraid to change. He's changed too. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, like Dan Burke had said, like, don't forget the players win the games. The coaches just try to put them in the best position possible to do that. Yeah. But the players win the games. Right. Um, and you know, Rick Carlisle, he was an interesting guy to be around for a year. 
Um, great offensive minds. Like I told you a few minutes ago, I definitely took that. Yeah. And that works really well here at prep school. Cause like I said, I mean, some prep schools might have the opportunity to recruit exactly who you want. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of recruiting resources, but I'd be lying to you if I told you I was going to fall backwards into seven foot twins three years ago. <laughs> like that wasn't part of the plan. Man, yeah. you know? But when those guys came, you know, I was at least smart enough to sit back and go, okay, what do we do to make them, you know, play to their strengths? Yeah. Right. So that's what we do offensively. And then I think, um, I look, I've been very fortunate in my eight years as head coach to have um, solid groups of guys here um, in terms of character. Right. And, and it's been nice because even though prep school, you have a lot of turnover with only having guys for one, two, maybe three years on occasion. Yeah. Um, it still creates a lot of turnover, but like I said, I think the character that you recruit creates the culture that you end up being right. Um, and for me, it's just, um, you know, we have young guys here and so inevitably you'll have guys that will make some mistakes. They're kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, I think Rick Carlisle inherited a roster that he needed to make it clear to them at that time with the Pacers was, um, we're gonna, we're gonna decrease the kind of distractions. Yeah. That were both on and off the court. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing I heard from him back in 2003 was, and I'll never forget this quote, you get what you tolerate. Yeah. And so, you know, don't run a, like a rigid, you know, super disciplined, like crazy program here. It's just like, hey, this is what we expect in the dorm. This is what we expect in the classroom. And this is what we expect on the court. And just laying out our expectations very early to anybody that's a recruit that's considering coming. Yeah. So I think, you know, I piece all those things together. And what I think what you get in me is um, I'm very open-minded basketball-wise. Um, I do value defense quite a bit. Um, I've probably changed in that regard in a way where, you know, my first couple of years, I think like if you said zone, it probably was like, you know, you're crazy, get out of my office. Yeah. Um, but definitely, you know, changed there a little bit uh, offensively. We went over that. And then just in terms of how we run our program, it's just like, let's just get guys of good character and they'll, they'll create the culture and hopefully they mature enough where they can pass that on to the next guys. And, you know, having guys like, uh, John Adams here and, uh, you know, Wendy great Gabriel was an incredible hard worker. Um, you know, those guys made sure the younger guys saw the work ethic, made sure that the younger guys saw, this is how we carry ourselves on campus because we want our team to be viewed as a team that is a positive for the school and not just in the win column. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's, that's just kind of what we get. Um, you know, I, I always say like, just do the best we can in the dorm, the classroom and, and the basketball court, because the nice part is if you're taking care of business in the classroom, then we have more and more time on the court. Yeah. You know, don't have to worry about you like going to detention and stuff. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Let's yeah. get on the court, you know, yeah. and let's, let's spend a lot of time there. So it's, you know, it's, it's simple, but you know, you just, you need the right guys.
I love it. I think it's a, a, a great philosophy and uh, everything that you pulled and learned from different coaches and your attitude and everything that you have going on at there is awesome. And obviously it's been paying off and with players and that have come through the program and everything that you you've set up for, for uh, Wilbraham and Monson Academy. So this is great coach. This has been an awesome interview too. I mean, uh, it's been a lot of fun speaking with you. This is a, uh, you've, Cracked me up a couple of times. You have made me laugh. Yeah, you, I you, think I think one answer. I went far too long, and you probably should have shot clocked me. No, that's all right. You're fine. Don't worry about it. I I love all this stuff. It's cool. It's great to learn about um, you, coach, and uh, you know, and also about the the, the school itself. And uh, it's great. I heard it's a beautiful campus. I, I definitely would love to, you know, bring the podcast up there sometime, and uh, you know, bring oh, yeah. some notice and everything like that. It'd be be great. Uh, great for you know just to get to see you, meet you in person besides be via Zoom. Uh, but before we wrap up this interview, I want to ask one last question that um, I usually ask everyone else. It, it seems like basketball is a big part of your life, but I want to do, know what's the one thing that you like to enjoy the most outside of basketball? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, basketball is still a part of this answer, but um, any, anytime I can bring my kids to a game and we can just sit there and watch. Yeah. Um, Cause my, my kids and I shouldn't say inevitably, but I guess in, in a way, inevitably, like they really enjoy basketball. Um, I love just playing, you know, playing with the family at home. Uh, my kids love their Nerf hoop. Um, <laughs> they love their hoop outside uh, that we have in the driveway. Um you know, during COVID, we we're pretty locked in together, right? So, yeah. Um, you know, just finding fun ways to, you know, enjoy stuff with the family. Um, I would say that uh, just, you know, family time. Um, other than that, um, you know, I would say, um, well, when I was in, in my fitter days, um, <laughs> I really enjoyed running, running, ran a couple marathons. Oh, wow. Um, trying to slowly get back to that. Now, I don't know about, you know, marathons anymore. I think we should probably throw the word half at the very least in yeah. front of that. I don't know if there's any quarter marathon. You know, I guess there are quarter marathons. I suppose <laughs> that would be close to like a 10K. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so 10K is probably more my speed now, yeah. <laughs> literally and figuratively. Um <laughs> But no, running kept me sane while I was uh, coaching in college. Um, had a couple guys that I worked with that were runners. Um, you know, and, and really any chance, I mean, I'll be honest, I enjoy the heck out of this stuff. Um, yeah. Just connecting with different people in the industry, not necessarily saying like interviews, but like, yeah, yeah. Um, just connecting with different people in the industry. Um, and always love visiting with my old coaches. Uh, they probably hate that I would say old. Um, but anytime I can catch up with Dan Burke and Chad Forcier and, and Bruiser and all the guys that were on Bruiser staff that I still, you know, stay in touch with, um, I enjoy the heck out of that. Just talking to those guys about whether it's basketball or life, um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I'm a UMass grad and now being back in Massachusetts for the last 13 years, I've been able to go back there quite a bit and I love my college. So anything that involves UMass sports, um, I'm super invested in, um, you know, just having worked in the athletic department as a student, graduated from there, being a Western Mass kid, I grew up watching 
Marcus Camby, Lou Rowe, Will Herndon, watching John Calipari lose his mind on the sidelines and, and Coach Chaney. Um, and, you know, probably, again, involving basketball, going back to the old coaches. I, I love watching and reading stuff about old coaches um, that I think and I hope don't kind of fade too far away, you know, yeah. into the background. Like one of my favorite coaches of all time is John Chaney. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, Coach Chaney is still very present in the game and his influence. But, you know, those are the guys that we need to keep their spirit alive in the game. Um, because I think lessons that I learned, like you get what you tolerate and asking for the very best out of young men in the classroom. Yeah. You got to do that. Yeah. You're not doing that as a coach. I think you're not doing your job. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I read John Thompson's book, which was, if you haven't read that, I just read it out. it's a tremendous book. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just the old coaches and, and, uh, you know, watching some of the old 30 for thirties. Yeah. Those uh, are that's, I guess that's what I am too. I'm a big doc yeah. sports documentary guy. Oh, I love those. Like you give me a sports documentary. Um, with the exception of maybe one or two sports that I don't really enjoy very much. <laughs> uh, but, you know, basketball documentaries, uh, you know, a big boxing fan. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, any documentaries, you know, baseball, basketball, football, stuff like that, um, especially when it's about old coaches. I just, the other day while I was working out, I watched the entire Survive in Advance, the Jim Valvano one. Oh, that's a good uh, one. Which is a great one. And then, couple weeks ago i watched uh requiem of the big east which was basically about the creation of the big east and yeah all those big coaching personalities and, yeah yeah um you know all that stuff pj carlissimo and guys like that so um yeah i can't get basketball out of my life but <laughs> i guess when i i guess when i would go running and stuff like that i, I suppose that's when i can kind of get it out but yeah you can't stay away from it. That's uh, that's that's part of your life. It's uh, just, you know, like I said, if it wasn't for basketball, I wouldn't have met my wife. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have met my wife, and you know, probably three quarters of the people that I talk to in my life every day on the phone, it's about you know, it's basketball guys. Yeah. You know, and just shooting the breeze about basketball, and you know, about one thing or another, and you know, it's basketball and family with me. It's you know. Those would be the two groups of people at my funeral. I hope they, I, I hope they both show up. <laughs> I love it. And I'll tell you, if the basketball people in my family don't show up at my funeral, it will be sparsely attended. <laughs> I think it's awesome, though. So, yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, catching up with my old players. Again, it's basketball. But when those guys text me or call me, you know, I try to drop everything I, I have and, and uh, I'm doing and catch up with those guys. and. I just had a player text me yesterday and I didn't really know this cause I don't, I I'm not on the social media stuff he's on. Yeah. He's like, coach, you didn't know I'm getting married this summer. And I said, I think my wife told me something about like, you know, you had a long time girlfriend now, but I said, no, I didn't know you got engaged. So he just <laughs> told me you got engaged and get married this summer. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's well, coach, this has been fun. And like you said, basketball is a big part of your life. And obviously you can tell your passion about it. And, uh, um, being able to have you on the show and speak to you, this has been awesome. Like learning about you and everything in your past. And obviously, uh, uh, Wilbraham and Monson Academy is in great hands. They have been in great hands for 13 years with you and everything that you're doing and the kids that you, you and the kids that you have, obviously are in great hands. Cause, uh, 
you know, all the life lessons that you've learned and, you know, all the young men that have come in through that program, I'm sure enjoy having you as a coach and uh, getting out into the real world and doing great things. I appreciate you saying that. That's, that's nice. And if by chance there are any seven footers listening, it's uh, <laughs> coach underscore Mannix that, you know, on Twitter. So hit me up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'll pass them along to you if uh, yeah. any of those uh, seven footers or any players are interested for sure. But coach, yeah. thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. We'll have to get you back on the show. And like I said, we'll have to maybe bring up the podcast up, up there and maybe do an episode up there one day. I would love that. And I'll throw this idea out to you too. get a couple double a coaches on at once. Oh yeah. We should definitely do that. Mega episode. Oh my God. Yeah. I know. I have to get you coach Hart, and uh, we'll have to find someone else to get in there and be a, be a great episode for sure. You won't get a word in edgewise. Yeah, that's okay. I'll have to sit back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jeff. Well, thanks so much. This, this was awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. This uh, is, this is good stuff. Thanks coach. I appreciate it. All right.